Welcome to the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by William Brent Bell, director of Lord of Misrule. Uh, it's coming out uh, December 8th at the, the at theaters and on demand. It's good to talk with you. Hey, good to talk with you. I like that hat. Thank I like you. that intro, too. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, truth and advertising. <laughs> So uh, for people not aware yet, can you give them an idea of what Lord of Misrule is? Yeah. I mean, Lord of Misrule is a folk horror film that is set in a town called Barrow, and it follows um, the town vicar. Her name's Rebecca, and she's new to town with her husband and her daughter, Grace, and uh, they get to experience their first Harvest Festival, which is a festival that's kind of... Um, uh, pays homage to to the to their pagan history um but that night her daughter goes missing and over the course of the story she's trying to find her daughter and starting to realize that maybe the town's a little more um they believe a little more than she thought they did in in their pagan history and one thing leads to another i'm a i love this movie not just because you're here and uh i like folk uh horror films but i think it's an overused term sometimes it seems like anything like out in the woods or whatever is folk horror, but uh, <laughs> uh, Lord of Misrule definitely fits in uh, a folk horror. Yeah, right. I mean, it's it's that's so much of what it is. I mean, it's about the history of this area and areas like it and the symbology and the costumes and the way they live kind of in a different time almost. It's very folky. Um, I, I'm not a huge fan of, of labeling genre stuff. I or agree genres, well. yeah. But I mean... It, you know, it's a way to describe kind of what somebody's yeah, getting. Yeah, to me. yeah. It's really annoying when people want to argue over a genre. Like, uh, does it make Alien a better movie or worse movie if it's sci-fi or horror? I mean, if you like it's it, silly. you like it. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, we won't get into it because you probably have your opinions. But you know, usually those movies, I'm like, yeah, they're horror. I mean, like if somebody's dying a horrible death, or you're scared of a monster, or any number of things. But it, whenever something's great, a lot of times, um, yeah, they didn't want to take the horror away, right? Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. So, what interested you in the script? You know, um, just it from what you saw in the movie, very much is the the way that Tom Deville like set up the script and like the mythology. I thought was really like for me really interesting and it was kind of complicated and in a good way, but easy to understand in another way, which I thought was like great writing and, and just the, the, the tone of both the vibe of the daughter, almost like killing a rabbit in the opening scene and me kind of going, okay, great. Like I see, like he's playing around with really cool stuff in this. And, um, and then just the vibe of, of a small village in the UK and the way they celebrate these festivals and the masks and the pageantry and the um, the costumes. It was like all of that immediately like hooked me. And then the story of, you know, this woman and trying, you know, making as big a decision as she could make about her own life to, you know, possibly hopefully save the life or soul of her daughter is, was, was a great, you know, um, something that pulled me through the rest of the movie. Yeah, that opening scene, honestly, because I'm like, I don't know if this girl is a, is a villain in the movie, exactly what's happening, or uh, is it okay to kill an animal and maybe it's okay to do other things, you know, uh, but it sets up the very, movie very well. Yeah, yeah, and it was, I, I I felt the same way. I'm just like, kids, kids do bad things and what's she going to do and what's she capable of maybe, or, you know, like, what's going on? 
And when I say villain, um, I think you could argue the movie doesn't have a villain. Because uh, I, I like a villain that's justified, at least in their own views. Yeah. I mean, I think um, I think the obvious thing is you think Galagog is the villain. But really, if I'm choosing a villain, it's definitely Jocelyn. It was definitely Ralph's character. Um, you know, uh, he was the one who was pushing things to a place that was truly horrible for and he seemed to know what he was doing but you know i don't want to give too much away again no but uh he his performance is great not only his voice obviously but he has a lot of presence as soon as he's on camera yeah and you know he was kind of especially for him playing a pretty stodgy kind of like a you know like a guy who's a school teacher maybe but his wife's died and so he doesn't wash his clothes or clean under his nails and so there was just a real creepiness but sweetness to him which it doesn't matter what ralph does if he's trying to be sweet if there's just always you know he's he's imposing he's he's always going to have a quality to him where you're what you're thinking he's you know capable of bad things sort of i think yeah <laughs> in and the best in when it, I love the mask, which is behind uh, behind you for people watching here. Um, and it's very interesting because it looks completely different on Ralph, depending what else he's wearing. So if he's like in a suit and he has it on, it gives a different like uh, like a vibe than if he's got like a robe or he's dressed in a costume. Well, yeah, you know, and also for me, it was in, de in designing it when we put it on him the first time on set, it, you know, his eyes coming through it, it just kind of transformed the mask in general. But yeah, the character's a bit of a, you know, not a buffoon at the beginning, but he's, you know, it's he's more of a clown, he's more of a jester. Um, and then as we get to know the character more, he becomes darker and darker and a little less, um, you know, a little less pageantry with what he is, and he's a little more down to business. And so I know what you mean. Like uh, he takes the he takes his hat off. Um, and it kind of transforms a bit of yeah. like it's what just a like. weird contrast with the mask and like a, a suit that like a you would, no, would normally wear it works for me <laughs> good so me when too. you're designing that like um is it based on anything like you look up like historically i mean in general um and tom wrote it like you know a hook's nose something like that but a little or misrule you know you can there's a lot of uh, variations of what he's been in history, um, but the kind of th the, this particular style of mask and kind of like a half face where we can still see him talk instead of being completely covered. And also it's kind of a helmet almost was very much inspired. That part of it was inspired by Excalibur. Um, uh, 1979 movie, you know, yeah, it's, I, I love the clamshell. I'm a big <laughs> fan of the movie. Yeah. Do you remember um, Mordred, uh, Morgana's son, when he came of age and he had that, I mean, it just, you know, just a really wicked armor and his mask in particular was that half mask. Um, and so that was, you know, that was the the stranger idea to try to get into this mask. And ultimately, with the help of a lot of people, we got it there. Yeah, no, it looks great. And uh, we won't talk about Excalibur. That's an era of sword and sorcery movies I love because they're like adult and weird and that and Conan and the Barbarian movies. Oh, like yeah. That. Yeah. So um, I think anytime someone brings up folk horror, they always uh, bring up uh, The Wicker Man. But there are some comparisons, actually, uh, this time. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, I didn't rewatch The Wicker Man. Um, I always had a really strong memory of it, you know. And I had a really bad, unfortunately, 
I went, I remember going to theaters and seeing the remake and, and I really, that didn't land with me. Yeah, and yeah. so the bees. Yeah. it was a, it was a bummer. And so that put a bad taste in my mouth. So whenever Wicker Man was brought up when we were developing the script, I was like, I don't want to think about that, you know, because I just had a weird taste in my mouth, but um, for sure. I mean, it's, that movie's about the Lord of Misrule. I mean, I, a Lord of Misrule and there's a lot of parallels to that story, you know, yeah. Um how and you know that's going? that's it's a great story to tell. Yeah, it's, definitely. Um, but it's completely different. I don't want people to think yeah. you know it's it's uh, just like I say. I think if people like Wicker Man, they would like uh, Lord Misrule, uh, the original Wicker Man. Uh, Gallo Gorg is that based on anything? Because I actually did Google it afterwards. I even paused the movie to read it off the uh, off the uh, the uh, the book so I could get the the wording right. But I could not find anything besides uh, your movie. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Um. Th yeah, I did the same thing when I read the script. Um, because it's one thing to create uh, an original idea, but it's kind of hard to create words that you can't really find these days. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Tom, you know, Tom DeVille uh, created this mythology and, you know, I think there are words that you can, derivative words that mean certain things that led him to that particular phrase. But um, yeah, that was just part of his, brilliant crazy um dark folky mind was was creating this character and was such a great name i think that's why it works too because it does seem like oh this is like this is like some real folklore here you know and yeah. that brings like a like a realism to the movie yeah i mean in the folklore that that is real is you know many times equally bizarre and twisted so um it's pretty cool to be able to tell that kind of story that's at the same time familiar but also unique um and you know it that's to, what very much what drew me in was all of that initially uh great score in the movie there's a weird like violin that comes in a few times that yeah. uh uh really works very creepy and then you have some like actual folk music like at the beginning and the end so stay for the credits and listen to that yeah that was i'll tell you like um Brett Detter has done six movies with me and he's one of my best friends in the world. And so he does the score. Uh, um, and it was a cello, by the way. Oh, cello. <laughs> and and I love cello. And um, and then Sam Lee is the singer of those two songs. And uh, that was a, a bunch of his music I'd listened to as we were prepping the movie as like inspiration. And then when we got to the point of, we're, you know, kind of recreating potentially those songs or something, um, I was struggling with that. And then uh, I got hooked up with Sam Lee. And then I ended up, you know, we ended up using his song at the beginning. And then him and I wrote the song at the end um, with some other people. And um, so that was just, you know, for me, great to be able to have what was inspiring me during uh, pre-production and production be exactly the person, the voice was in my, you never get to put the voice in your head in the movie. And this time I did. So it's very yeah. cool. Uh, I definitely uh, recommend listening to the the closing track. I know sometimes when things go in, on different uh, websites, not websites, but uh, different platforms, they skip over the the uh, the credits at the end, which is very annoying. But uh, and and it's you listen to it because I was like, oh, this must have been written for the uh, either written for the movie or you listened to this song before and kind of wrote it into the movie. I don't know. But... No, it was written for the movie. It's that's 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 the whole story of the of the town of Barrow and Tobias Braun. Um, uh, and so it's all based kind of, you know, on Tom's mythology. 
um, of what happened to the town 300 years ago and then kind of what's happening again. Um, it was, uh, and it's all based, you know, like the, 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 um, melodies are based on some like really old folklore melodies and uh, a lot of the music in the movie, you know, we utilized really old, uh, melodies and kind of repurposed them in different ways. Yeah. I'd love to see it on, I think when people think of seeing the theater, you think of just the visuals on the big screen, which obviously is great, but also you get to hear the music and feel the music. So I think uh, that would work really well if you get a chance to see Lord and Miss Rule in the theater. Yeah, I agree. It's <laughs> it's nothing better than being in a the theater. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, so where did you shoot the movie? We shot it um, in a little village um, about an hour north of London called Aldbury Village, which is, you know, it's been around forever um, and all the buildings are, I mean, you know, the newest buildings, a few hundred years old and the oldest is from, from the 1495 or something. Um, and they had a stockade where they used to whip witches and burn, uh, or, you know, and it's in the center of the town village, uh, the, the village um, square. Um, it's crazy. I mean, it's just got such rich history. And, you know, the church we filmed in, it's been, there, you know, been there longer than America's existed. It's um, I, that's I've said on the show before, it's weird because uh, when you go to another country and you think of old things here, it's completely different than something old like in England where it's it's know, so different. Yeah, and yeah. and they have so much history that the stories they've come in and out of, you know, it's um, it's crazy. And that's what part of what's interesting about making the movie is like everybody there has stories like this of their of growing up, you know, like their town has festivals like this. And a lot of the people in our festival were, you know, people who perform at real festivals. And I was ask that if there was like any locals in the movie. Yeah. I mean, all the festival people, it's like you get like they call them um, the mummer dancers. And it's a group of like 12 to 18 people and they all have their outfits and they have sticks and bells and dances and so we had like two mummer groups and and it's just you know instead of like casting people and creating a dance it's like come in and do what you guys do every year um things like that it was uh yeah it was it was cool to be able to shoot a town for a village for a village um and to be able to lean into all the local lore yeah i would assume like trying to re re uh, just actually create a whole village would be uh would be a huge budget and uh, to actually use the village would uh, it just looks more realistic. I think. Yeah. Cause it is right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I also like, there's a lot of very interesting older actors in the movie and they all have like great faces and expressions and uh, you don't always see that in, in modern movies. So I was happy to see that. Yeah. You know, they um, like the talent pool in, in the UK is crazy. You know, people, um, work with a different kind of mentality, um, like more long-term, nobody's trying to necessarily become famous. They're just like working on their craft. And so you just have this wealth of, you know, um, talent and, and casting those Trimlo, the tr everybody, um, they were all really interesting. Um, the Trimlo sisters in particular were two of my favorites, you know, the two, yeah. the older ladies who That's still exactly what I was thinking of, yeah. I mean, we you wouldn't really know it when you watch the movie, but we really did shoot in a you know 500 year old house in like these and they had just these two tiny bedrooms across the hall from each other. And if you really look, you know, you could see like they live almost like little girls still uh, and they're kind of stuck at being two 10 year old sisters um, yet they're 80. And um, 
and you know struggling with what's happening in the movie as characters and tackly funny scary unsettling unnerving characters um, like so many of the other ones yeah and the movie really builds well uh it really gets very creepy and uh and scary as the movie goes on because you're not really exactly sure what's happening and how much of it is real or how much of it's folklore yeah i mean i'm glad i'm glad that it, that it built for you the uh and that's so much i mean so many things about it but i think like uh, the sound and the score maintaining yeah, a certain odd tension throughout the movie um, was really important. And then puppets and just because, you know, she's in pretty much every yeah. scene. And so kind of you're with her. And so it just, you know, required her to carry so much. Um, and was that a hard role to cast? And when you found Tuppets, what what really made her right for uh, Rebecca? You know, she was she I was a fan of hers already. And um, from like the Wachowski brothers, Wachowski series um, since eight. And um, and I'd seen her just in Mank, David Fincher's movie. And um, and she, you know, and so so we got her the script and she read it and we met and she cycled over um, and she's just amazing. And she has a very dark sensibility. You know, she practices taxidermy because she wants to get good enough to be able to stuff her cat when it dies one day. Um, I hope it's okay for me to say that, but she told me that story, which I thought was just crazy. But it's, she just, you know, she's going to direct like a, a scary movie soon. And that's okay. just kind of her vibe. Um, very witchy, kind of cool, and really cares about the character. So, um, so it was really easy. And we really dug into this dug into the script together and made a lot of changes um to kind of track her character and and bring out all the details so and you know she even called me up and was like listen i'm gonna get a perm so are you okay with that and i was like <laughs> i trust you you know um she goes no it'll be cool it'll be this you know like very relaxed perm but you look at the movie and it's like it plays great for her character and now i kind of wish every lead woman in my movies has this kind of perm hair it's just, <laughs> right that, yeah you can go back and, and uh cg it in like jab in uh yeah you know, in the return of the jedi movies but um so uh do you keep any of the stuff from your movies like the mass or costumes or anything yes i keep everything i mean my studio is like a museum i mean i have the mask behind me um not that one but i have the real one behind me too oh, okay you can't see it <laughs> um but uh yeah, I mean, from every movie, all the main, you know, like the boy, his weapon is also behind me um, and everything. It, it's like uh, I love I would collect more of that stuff if I didn't make it, you know, and just because I make it, I, it it, it fills up enough yeah. um, of my space or whatever. Uh, but yeah, from every movie, you know, I've got Isabel's bloody gloves and her, you know, just all sorts of stuff. Cool. Uh, by the way, I know we're talking about Lord of Mistral. I'm a huge fan of the sequel to Orphan, and you can go and watch our review of it. And uh, me and Annabelle, we do dinner and a movie, a review of uh, we watch movies and review them over dinner. And we both loved uh, loved your Orphan film. Oh, so, great. Yeah. yeah. Well, and those... I look forward to uh, more stuff from you. And I'm looking forward to Yeah, there'll be another Orphan too, or three. Oh, nice. Very good. Yeah. Well, thank you, man. Yeah. And Lord of Mistral uh, is great. I really uh, hope people go and check it out uh, at the theater if possible. And if not, you can still watch it on demand starting uh, December 8th. Thank you. Thanks. No, I really did love the movie. So. Well, I appreciate it. S spread the word. <laughs> I will do my best. All right. Thanks. Bye.